0: I'm Cameron Harold, the founder of the Second in Command podcast. Really quick, before we jump into today's episode, you need to know about two important ways that we can help you and your company grow. Number one, check out the COO Alliance. It's for COOs, presidents, VP ops, or whoever is your company's second in command to the CEO. The COO Alliance is the world's leading community for the second in command, and it gives COOs the tools and connections to grow themselves and the company. Head over to COOalliance.com to learn more about our members and the results, the program, and our 10x guarantee. If you qualify for membership, you can set up a complimentary call with our team to discuss if it's right for you. I'll tell you about number two in a bit, but first, let's start this week's episode.
1: We work with the CEOs, with the presidents, with the partners of the companies, and one hour or or their time is extremely valuable. So if they can Save a couple of hours not driving to the mall and not spending time in the, in the traffic and, uh, you know, spending time in the, in the shop and have a guy who is uh, experienced, who has the knowledge and idea uh, how to dress and help you to dress up and make the whole shopping experience very easy, um, that, that the convenience makes the difference.
0: All right, we've got Mamik Rothberg, who is the COO for LGFG House, which is a luxury designer uh, clothing company. They make custom suits and shirts and uh, they even do shoes and jackets for men all over the world. They're operating in probably about 20 or 30 countries. I know they're actually going to be coming over to meet with me in Dubai to make me a custom suit. I'm really looking forward to sharing all the information and the wisdom that Mamik has just shared with me. Pretty interesting with the culture that they have, the direct sales approach that they have, um, and the ability to actually deliver this high end of a product to some of the celebrities that are doing worldwide. You'll love the episode. We'll see you on the inside. So, Mamak, welcome to the Second in Command podcast.
1: It's a pleasure to be here,
0: Cameron. Yeah, really looking forward to this. Um, I've had a couple of calls over the last um, three or four months with your CEO, Dimitri, who's a part of my group coaching program. And then I've heard of your brand over the years as well, because you're partially based in Vancouver, where I used to live for 25 years, but you're also partially based in Estonia. So before we dive in, and I don't normally start with this, but why don't you just tell us a little bit about the, the business and it's LGFG House, which is a, a fashion company. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the business, the brand itself and who your ideal customers are, and then we'll dive in from there.
1: LG FG Fashion House is a custom clothing, luxury custom clothing brand. And we work work in the way that we come directly to our clients. We cater our clients directly at their home or office. And we provide a very personalized um, approach towards your clothing. Uh, We basically make everything starting from suits shirts and finishing with some uh, bomber jackets and uh, casual clothing like jeans and sneakers so we basically cover all the segment our ideal clients are uh, successful men who don't like shopping and spend time in time in the malls and who want to stand out a bit and uh, have something more unique than than common store can can offer
0: is that is that generally the um the value that you're providing the clients is that i guess first that it's unique and that it's it's kind of a one of a kind but secondly that you are coming to them and that saves them all the time is that really the value that they don't have to bother getting in their car and driving to the mall and parking and going up an escalator and dealing with waiting with somebody like is their time so valuable that they're willing to pay for that service is that why the value is there Hundred percent,
1: and I think it's vice versa. First, it's the time, and then it's that they can get something unique because uh, um, we work with the CEOs, with the presidents, with the partners of the companies, and one hour or, the, or their time is extremely valuable. So if they can save a couple of hours, not driving to the mall and not spending time in the in the traffic, and uh, you know spending time in the in the shop and have a guy who is uh experienced who has the knowledge and idea uh how to dress and help you to dress up and make the whole shopping experience very easy um that that the convenience makes the difference
0: okay so convenience for sure is one secondly as a brand you've been around for a long times so you're established you have the credibility. I haven't looked on Google to see what your Google reviews are like, or see if you have TrustPilot. But do you have online reviews about the business as well?
1: Um, I, I believe so. Yeah,
0: but you don't look at those. You don't look at those or measure those at all.
1: To be honest, not because uh, you know our business is mostly uh, it, it's not built on online views. It's uh, mostly referral business. Uh, or we are like a direct selling company we reach out to our clients um, we rarely get like uh, inquiries um, from the web uh, recently we started as we started to work with more celebrities and they start to present our brands so people start to check them out and and reach out reach out to us but uh, before it almost never happened so we reach out, we find the clients, we knock on the doors. And
0: And why, why is it set up that way? Are your clients not, I guess your clients are not online looking for this service because they don't even know that it exists. And if they're not into shopping, they're not into online shopping either. Is that why the direct outreach works better?
1: It's not even that. Yeah, yeah. As we are in a luxury segment, yeah, our garments are quite expensive. And I think no one would just spend this amount of, of money buying something online uh, when you're spending a couple of grand for a suit or you a know, couple of hundreds for a shirt, you probably want uh, some experience coming with this uh, instead of just checking on the picture online and, and buying it. And this is one of the biggest difference, I think. If we would be selling like, you know, everyday suits for 300 bucks, that probably would make sense. But we are not in that business. It's the same as you probably would know. Not buy a twenty thousand watch just online, checking on it, right? So you you would want to go to the shop to see it, to put on your on your wrist and and check it out. What
0: is the price point of a suit? Uh, Is I know that's kind of like saying how high is up, but like, and it's like asking you know how much does dinner cost at a restaurant? So, but what does a typical suit cost?
1: the average price that uh, we sell suits for is around $2,000.
0: So that's that's very normal and very standard for what a man would pay for a nice suit at like a, a Nordstrom or a Harry Rosen or, you know, a Holt Renfrew. You'd be paying, like, I've, I've purchased suits. I remember when I landed the Royal Family of Qatar as a client and I was going over to meet with them, I spent about $3,500 on each of the two suits that I purchased just to have meetings in Qatar. So two thousand dollars for a suit when it's custom made, and then I'm sure you go up from there. Like, what are the what are the most expensive suits you sell? The
1: the most expensive ones um, would be around on the uh, $30,000. and there are like very unique. If we go to the more unique segment, then they go can go up to like fifty thousand.
0: And, and that's probably why you're attracting some of the clients that you're attracting as well, because you're doing some work for some pretty big name celebrities. Can you give us, are you allowed to talk about who you create some suits, suits, suits for?
1: Um, absolutely. I don't think it's a secret. So um, we work with uh, Lennox Lewis, the heavyweight champion, uh, some of the biggest names. And we work with uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, Russell Peters, Michael Frances, Zach Wilde, Eddie Hall and so this just goes on
0: How did you get in those doors and have you done much with have you done much with athletes like have you gotten into the football teams and the basketball teams and the baseball teams have you gotten into with with the you know the the hockey teams have you done much there at all
1: We are just stepping into 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 that door right now um but not much yet So we've been working with a lot of um, heavyweight uh athletes and with some fighters and uh, right now we start to approach some uh, pro athletes in, in the in the sports of you know football basketball in the more team player
0: and now you're operating and you're operating in multiple countries as well so i, I get that the with the core of your business just be the successful businessmen that are you know entrepreneurs or um you know commodities traders financial brokers is that kind of your your bread and butter
1: Correct. So, bankers, financial advisors, um, investment bankers, um, top accountants, uh, lawyers, company owners, partners. These are, these are our main clientele.
0: And is it referral-based sales that generate most of your revenue with the sales? Is it direct cold calling one-on-one or are your, are your salespeople really good at generating referrals once they've got one client?
1: Ah, hundred percent. So most most of the business is generated through referrals, but we also uh, we also have a social marketing team that supports our sales, and we do cold calling as well. We we are sales company that happen to be to sell high end suits. Uh, so we knock on the doors, we float, we cold call, we ask for referrals, and we we try to get a, any opportunity that we can we can get to reach out to to our prospects. So I know we called, email in the countries where it is possible to do that uh, still, and um, but mostly it's referrals. If we say that really growing your business, um, it's referral game. And um, this is where we put a lot of accent in training our sales reps to ask for referrals uh, because that that's makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, and I would think your close rate on referrals would be significantly higher than a
1: close rate on a cold call. 100%. It's not even close. So even the booking rate, like if you're calling, um, if you're calling referrals, you would book probably half of the guys that you will reach. Um, and the calls would be much more pleasant, as you know yourself. I'm sure you've been doing the call calling as well. So, um, and when you called call, you're you're just get get, uh, you know, you just knock cold in the door, and you get a lot of no's.
0: Now, you guys have got a very strong company culture. I went on your glass door, and your glass door rating is a 4.7 rating. Um, And you've got 38 ratings, which is very high, like to to have a 4.7 with with already, you know, 38, 40 ratings. How do you get a strong company culture when you're a sales organization, which tend to be, you know, firing the bottom performers and getting rid of the low performers? Sales organizations tend to get hurt a little bit on their glass door ratings because people don't like that competitive environment. How have you been able to do both to have that competitive sales environment and yet maintain a good culture?
1: Um, I think it's uh, uh, managing the expectations, so we are very blunt and we tell upfront what are the expectations of the salespeople to hit the targets and how to perform, what it will bring to them as well. So um, people see the 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 performance and the results deal to some the execution deal to some results so if if person don't execute then it's hard to blame the company because we provide all the tools and the trainings we we really want people to succeed because we are the people's company we build the people people build the company so so i think that's a part of it but you know there's always someone who who will get uh, sad from 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 the reality, but yeah, I think that's the big part of it. As we we, we are very uh, transparent in terms of you know what are the expectations of the of, from the from the people and from the company.
0: Where do you find your salespeople? You guys are a pretty strong sales organ. How many, first off? How many employees do you have globally? And and do
1: you, and how many salespeople do you have approximately? So globally, I think we are around 60, and half of them are salespeople. Recruiting salespeople, it's, it's a hard not to crack. We started to get celebrities with only one purpose, is to hire more people. That was the only purpose. I mean, it also builds the brand, but we, the biggest struggle that we had is to how to hire and attract salespeople uh, that would be highly interested to work with us, and uh, having um, big names on the as a brand ambassadors uh, help a lot. So people get excited about working with us. So we started to to get much better pool of the candidates, and and the hiring of new reps became a bit more easier than just finding the guys out from the street.
0: Love that. Okay, so so you actually recognize that having premier clients would help you with your recruiting and it's not like that your recruiting would help you get the better clients so where did you get your initial you know a-list clients how did you go out and find those ones
1: um it's all started with lennox lewis and it was complete pure sales just cold knocking on the doors trying to get from you know different approaches through Social media through emailing, calling, and just trying to 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 open these doors. And once we got Lance Lewis, it gave us a bit of credibility uh, that we already worked with some celebrity, and uh, then it became a bit easier. But everything changed when we we got Alice Cooper uh, as a brand ambassador, and he, he loved working with us. So after that, it kind of, it kind of opened the door into, into that sense.
0: How did you get Dallas Cooper?
1: It's uh, the same thing. We, we messaged him. We showed uh, the opportunity to work with us. We asked for the opportunity to work with us, and uh, we, we showed what we can do for him. And I think the main approach is we, we tried to make the whole experience very easy and fun. And he kind of decided, why not? He gave us a chance and he, he, he liked it.
0: I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about something. The other day, I read about a COO writing about when the going gets difficult and how they were happy to be in the CEO mastermind group that they were. It made me remember that that's why I started the COO Alliance. It's a peer group and community for COOs and seconds in command of companies doing $5 million to $250 million in revenue. Our core group meets monthly online with other companies like yours. It's amazing because you get your frame broken tons of times. And when you think there's only one way to do something and one way to feel about something, you get your perspective completely changed on a regular basis. We also host hundreds of COOs on our monthly mastermind calls and smaller groups twice a year at our in-person COO Connect events. So if you're the founder or owner of a fast-growing company, tell your COO to check it out. And if you are the COO, head on over to the cooalliance.com to learn more about becoming a member today. All right, back to the podcast. How do you systemize something that seems so complicated? I mean, it seems to me that custom-made suits Would be complicated. Is it that you only have a a limited number of styles or a limited number of fabrics, or or have you figured out the way to have multiple styles and multiple fabrics with multiple sizes in multiple countries? Do you at least manufacture from the same place, or are you manufacturing from different manufacturers based on the look and feel? How does that all work?
1: We we own uh, our manufacturer and uh, we manufacture all in one place and uh, it works in the sense that we have an incredible software that uh, generates a unique pattern based on your um, based on your measurements and the styles that you want to get so it generates like a unique pattern for you especially and we add to that pattern the fabric that you choose and the linings and then we send all the pieces to the production and the fabric is being cut and sewn together. Is it so
0: simple that the tailor who's going out to take measurements, all they need is the same 12 measurements and a suit can be produced? Or are the tailors also salespeople in a way? Or do, they, or do you have two people going out? Do you have like the salesperson and the tailor?
1: No, it's, it's one person. So if you are a salesperson, you're also a tailor. and. Uh, we say that if you learn sales, you will definitely learn the tailoring. So yeah. <laughs> sales tend to be much, much more complex and harder.
0: Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, all, all they're really doing is taking measurements anyway. They're not actually doing the work. So you can teach somebody how to take 12 measurements. So you're teaching great salespeople how to take the measurements.
1: Correct. Uh, that's absolutely correct.
0: Are the salespeople that are coming to my home to do my, my measurements the same person that's doing the cold calling? Or do you have like cold callers and you know the the in-home
1: salespeople working together? It's the same person. We tried to split that. We we tried, we actually had a call center uh before uh in multiple places. We actually had multiple call centers. We had uh uh call center in philippines we had call center in bulgaria in ukraine we tried to divide this role into the guys who are calling and the guys who are visiting the client and measuring them and it just doesn't work Uh, so if you want to grow this the the person who is calling and going to take the measurements it has to be the same person because uh, it gives a lot of uh, feeling of ownership and uh, cold calling and booking the guys, its you, you can't teach that in terms of, uh, I mean, you can teach that, but the conversion rate of just cold calling from the office for some guys that never went out and seen the clients would be much lower than the, cli- the guy who really sees and is in the environment and much sharper as a person uh, so he would better understand what he's talking about on the phone. So, and, and you would feel that you would feel the difference.
0: Yeah, you totally would. Is now, do they, do the cold callers or do the salespeople do all their cold calling in the morning and all their appointments in the afternoon? Or do they, is there a better time of day for cold calling? Have you found?
1: So guys uh, I mean they each person works in their own schedule but they definitely have the calling time and the the meeting times so usually you go to the meetings in the morning and then after you come you you call there is a certain purpose for that you can generate some warm leads like referrals and floats in the morning that you will be able to come and and uh, call in the evening so you wouldn't be cold calling uh, the whole day or in the morning cold calling and then going to the meetings.
0: I know that I'm going to get to experience at least the on-site salesperson because I've got a shirt, somebody coming to measure me for a shirt when I'm over in Dubai. How many, how many different markets um, are you operating
1: in? We're in US, in Canada, in Dubai, in Hong Kong, and basically in the whole Europe uh, right now. We were in Russia as well, but not anymore. And uh, uh, we were in Australia, uh, but uh, we, we lost that market right now. Almost lost. It's, it's still operating, but, but on a, on a low, low scale.
0: So when you say that you're in the United States, how many cities would you have people operating in in the United States? Like
1: kind of the L.A., New York, Chicago? Right now we have uh, Nashville. And we have a rep in Tampa who's, who's going to New York from time to time.
0: Okay. And and Canada, would it be like Vancouver,
1: Montreal, Toronto? Or? Canada, it would be Toronto, Calgary, and Vancouver. Edmonton as well.
0: And so how do you... Is it is it all just based on having a salesperson that you open and close a market? Um, or do you strategically decide you know, Toronto is a market, we want to have people and we're going to grow there. How do you operate that way?
1: Um, In that sense, yes, of course, we, first we, we look at the team because you can't just put random person into the market uh, to operate. So it has to be someone experienced and then it has to be someone with the, with the, that you can trust as well. So, because otherwise you will have market that no one is there, and it's very hard to operate uh, if you have no one on the foot, you know, in the market. So, so we we take it uh, slowly. So until we grow the office up to like five reps, three reps uh, in one market, we are not moving forward.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So you really are trying to targeting, getting multiple reps into a market, fully committing into that market. How many how many total countries are you operating in now? Five? Oh you said most of Europe.
1: Yeah. So I think we're 16 or 17 countries that we operate right now. So
0: how do you how do you operationally deal with the complexity of that where you have multiple markets, uh, multiple currencies, you know, multiple languages? multiple cultures, you know, the culture of dealing with France and Canada and, you know, the United Arab Emirates with Dubai are completely different. And then time zones, like you're operating 24 hours a day. Can you walk us through some of the systems that you use to manage some of those different areas of complexity?
1: Absolutely. So um, we developed uh, an internal CRM system uh, that... uh, was basically designed for us. We designed it for us and we built it from the scratch. It's not only uh, a database for the lease where and the pipeline for the salespeople to to uh, call and operate from. Uh, it's also tracks all the orders. It's uh, contains all the customer support, the chats, like everything uh, is there and it's quite complex. It took us like three four years to, to build it and we still add some new features uh, to the system for example recently we created um avatars for our clients uh, that present you with your head and some styles that would be you know fitting you and this is something unique that each each of our client now has um, each suit comes with a qr code that you can scan and it will drive you into your avatar. You will see all the garments that you bought with us before. And also a section of, you know, uh, some uh, seasonal collections that, you know, garments that might fit you and you might like uh, that you can buy as well. So there are multiple com- complex systems that, that, you know, are, are gluing all these operational things together.
0: How about in terms of the the communications of your team and the re- meeting rhythms, that kind of stuff? What's your tech stack look like? What different technology tools do you use to operate and run the business?
1: Uh, we actually, um, aside of aside of our 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 CRM system, we we don't use anything specific. Uh, it's the the same Zoom that everybody uses. Uh, it just uh, uh, happened that we we use Skype for you know sharing and daily chats chats uh we tried to go to Slack but it's too IT oriented uh, chat and uh, we just stayed with 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 Skype so um Skype is something that we just Skype and WhatsApp I would say that we used just to chat with each other with the reps and uh with the team but in terms of hours, we have uh, multiple calls, and we record our company calls and share it with the with the team that are in other in other sides of the world, so they can, you know, be uh, with the company and know all the news and what is happening. And also, we we schedule separate calls with with them in as well in another time zone
0: what's your What does your onboarding look like when you're bringing on a new person and they're remote and because you don't have you know management in all of these different cities and countries you're in how how are you working through the onboarding of a new employee um, you know from a s- systems perspective their their day- to day job and culturally
1: how do you onboard them The onboarding is a very important part and uh, we've been uh, failing some time with that, to be honest, I'll 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 be blunt here. Um, but uh, right now we we schedule it in the way that uh, the the rookie should always be with with the leader. So if uh, we always assign a leader to a rookie and we kind of pair them together, and uh, a leader of the office is responsible for the rookie. We have a lot of moving parts, like guys go to the turfs and they visit the clients. Uh, From time to time, we we bring rookies for the month to our head office so he can grasp, you know, the the culture and uh, the knowledge that we can share here with him. And then, you know, once we set him up a bit, then he goes on uh, under the leader and goes, you know, to the meetings, asking referrals and making calls.
0: Now you've done such a good job with generating referrals for clients. <clears throat> Do you also have a good referral program for salespeople to introduce their friends to become salespeople or people they know? Is that something that's systemized?
1: I mean, yes, we have a recruiting bonus, and uh, our CEO Dimitri is very generous with us with it, uh, because we really want we really want to grow and to double within the next year. And for that, we we need we need uh, recruits. So, what's the recruiting bonus? How does it work? Recruiting bonus uh, is uh, um, is actual twenty five thousand uh, dollars that is paid within each year that the uh, for five years it's paid within each year that the recruit stays with the company. So, if I refer you and you stay for the first year with the company i will get a bonus of $5000 and then if you stay for the next year i will get another 5000 bonus and another year another another 5000 bonus so it's quite quite good um incentive to to refer your friends and bring them on board
0: yeah it's a great bonus i like it for sure um, all right. What about your growth? You've been with the company for six years. You've certainly seen some growth. Can you talk about how you have had to continue to work on your skills um, for this period of time, where you have had to work on growing?
1: One hundred percent. I I started as a salesperson as well, when in Oslo in Moscow, and then I kind of grew into the CEO position within the timeline my responsibilities were changing a lot uh, as much as the company was changing a lot. So uh, every time there was a new challenge that I had to to find and to overcome. So in the beginning, I was training uh, in the call centers. So I was organizing their work, uh, their payroll, uh, schedule, um, recruiting, and training as well so there was a quite a big operational part happening and uh, after we at some point the the covet hit and uh, we had to restructure the whole company and it was basically killing the company because we couldn't meet our clients face to face and uh, we are a direct selling business and so we had to find the ways we dropped all the call centers and uh, we started to to think how to restructure the company, how to make it more profitable, how to cut the fat and uh, make it operationally better performing company. So my role changed from that to reorganizing the company and to to finding finding new ways to provide the the products uh, to to our clients because we had a very supportive we have a very supportive clientele who supported us throughout the whole covid um especially first year that was really hard but another challenge was if, even if the clients are are buying the products is that how you're going to deliver the products and make the products because you know at one point everything got shut down so the the factory fired almost all the reps and then the the logistics just didn't work i mean you know that you heard about that a lot i'm sure (laughs) so you you my my role was to find the new supply chains and and uh, finding the ways how to deliver you know the products to the clients and at the same time the brexit happened that that was another hit so it's huge yeah yeah you had to our main uh, operational office is in uk so uh, all the suits are shipped from UK, um, so had to deal with basically every country that we're shipping in Europe uh, to set up all the processes, uh, fighting with the customs and.
0: Yeah, like what what specifically did you do during COVID to sell suits when you were a direct go to the consumer's home or business to to measure and to deliver? How did you get around that? Did you just go anyway?
1: Did you sell more online? No, we, we started to do a Zoom meetings as, um, you know, we, we were not able to generate the new business almost. It was almost impossible because we couldn't uh, see the people and and measure them. But uh, we could work with our clientele because uh, we had their measurements. So we we can, you know, you can decide what you want to buy and we can make it and ship it to you and that was our main focus so we were uh, making zoom calls with the clients and uh, we were retraining ourselves how to sell over the zoom and how to present fabrics and the styles in a more sexy way virtually that you would want to buy it without touching them and feeling them so and that that was a um, tough times that it but it's also um was a huge upgrade for the sales team and it it uh, led the team to to look much wider in terms of sales how to generate them so right it expanded their their understanding of how they can sell they can also sell through zoom and their presentation became better and like it just everything had to become better for us to survive and so COVID was a very tough time but it was quite good for the company as well now looking at that looking back
0: once you have a customer's measurements are you are they able to order suits online from you basing like picking fabric and just saying use my same measurements this fabric go and and do you drive revenue that way or are you are you 100 ordering you know on site
1: no they can do it absolutely uh, some clients uh, just whatsapp uh us and say uh hi i need uh, more white shirts please make me six more shirts and we say okay and we charge their card and and make them another six pack of shirts and we deliver them it can go as easy as it is so once we have the measurements uh, you can you can buy all the picture and some clients who they they send the pictures that they want. You know they find something in the internet or online the picture, and they they just send the picture and say like, hey, I actually want something similar to that, and we can make it.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible that that you're doing and building your business in this kind of cold calling way. When you know Tesla is selling cars online, and you can just go. I know it's different where you don't have to go and measure yourself, but. I'm curious if you're working towards that kind of a model where when your brand is big enough and well-known and trusted enough, are you going to be moving more to being able to purchase online or are you going to be staying with this that, you know, much more, um,
1: customer centric and, and on-site with the customer? No, hundred percent. We've been talking about this with Dmitry that at some point, uh, we have to go to the stores and we have to go to the retail business uh in terms of um ready-made garments uh, to sell as a brand and i think it's it's just natural evolution it will be another av- avenue that we will be driving uh, so we already talk about it and at some point it will definitely happen yeah
0: um, all right, this is pretty interesting stuff. I want you to go back, Mamek, to the twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old self and give yourself some advice. What advice do you wish you'd known when you were just starting out in your business career that you know to be true today? You guys have been successful.
1: What advice would you give the younger you? Stick to one thing, and uh, whenever, whenever you feel down, it's it's all shall pass.
0: It all shall pass for sure. At the end of the day, none of this shit actually matters. This is just what we're doing to make money as well. So I agree. It will all pass. Mamik, thank you so much for sharing with us. We've got Mamik Rothberg, the COO for LGFG Fashion House, tuning in today from Estonia. I really appreciate the time and the ideas that you share with us today.
1: Thank you, Cameron. It was a pleasure.